Well, good morning, Life Church. Are you ready to worship this morning? Hey, why don't we stand on our feet as we get ready for what the Lord's going to do this morning? Great things. I'm believing God for a powerful encounter this morning. Do you agree? Amen. Father, we just come before you tonight, this morning, God. We come before you this morning, and we worship you, God. We believe that you are the mountain-moving God. You're the God who goes before us, God, to make rough things smooth. God, we believe you go before us, and you flatten mountains, God. We worship you, Lord, that you would receive the praise and the worship that you deserve. God, we honor you. Just meditate on that this morning, that he's the God who goes before you. He is the God that the Bible says in Deuteronomy 31, that he led them with a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Meditate on that. He's going before to resolve your problems. He's going before to set forth the path that he's called you to walk. The situations that come against you this morning, the situations that came against you this week, they're not surprising to God. Thank you, God, that you've gone before us. Thank you, God, that you're clearing the way. We come against this oppressive spirit. Thank you, God. God, that you are moving. Meditate that he's the God that goes before. He's the God that's gone ahead. He's the God that makes the way that is no way. He's the God that lays down the mountains. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning. God, we turn our attention towards you. God, we gaze upon you, Jesus, that you would meet us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.
know we get kind of repetitive and we sing the same chorus over and over, but you know what? He does not get tired of it. We get tired. We get tired of singing the same song again and again and again, but he never tires of it. The angels are gathered around in his throne right now singing, holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The least we can give him is 45 minutes of our time on a Sunday morning singing, worthy, worthy, worthy. Worthy is your name, Jesus. Worthy is your name. Come on, tell him. Jesus, because you deserve, you deserve so much more, Jesus.
Come on, somebody. Come on. I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I will break down the gates of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. How many of you are glad we have a God that goes before us? Come on. How many of you are glad we have a God that levels mountains? Come on, somebody. Hey, let's just do that real quick. Let's turn our attention as we get ready to pray. God, I love you. Just say that. Just say that with me. I love you. Jesus, I love you. God, we love you this morning. God, we love you this morning. Let's just speak our gratitude towards God. I'm grateful. God, I'm grateful. Just vocalize that. Sometimes we get focused on the mountains. Sometimes we get focused on the things going around. God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I have a house over my head. I'm grateful that I have a family. I'm grateful that I have a wife that loves me. I'm grateful that I've got a solid church that cares about me and loves me. I have a place to worship openly. God, I'm grateful. Lord, my heart is grateful this morning. Thank you. Just say that. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We are grateful. We are a people who's grateful. God, we're grateful that you level the mountains. Yes, Lord. This morning, we're going to pray for lost souls and prodigals. We're going to pray for unity in the church body. We're going to pray for unity. And we're going to pray for the ministries represented here at Life Church. We believe in prayer at Life Church. And we've seen prayer change and do marvelous things. Are you ready to pray this morning? God, we come before you this morning and we pray 
for lost souls. Lord, we just read that you're the God who goes before us. You're the God who saves souls. Lord, there are sons and daughters in this church that are living in the miry and the mud. God, and you can save them. You've gone before them, God. You've gone before us, God, and you're going to save them. And we're calling them home right now. Let the hounds of heaven seek them out. Let the Holy Ghost go and grab a hold of them right where they are. Lord, arrest them in their soul. God, we pray for the family members that are far from you, that have the prodigals that are walked away from you. God, we pray that you would redeem them right now. Awaken their dead bones. Awaken their dead soul. In Jesus' name, make them alive. Make them alive. Call forth the dead bones that they would live in Jesus' name. God, we pray that you would give us new ideas to reach the lost. You would give us new ideas and creative ideas, creative ways to go out and to engage the lost community. You have commissioned us. You have commissioned us to be the light. You have commissioned us to reach the world that is dying. And we pray you give us new ideas, give us the boldness, give us the courage. God, baptize us in the Holy Ghost. Baptize us with a fresh fire. Baptize us with a fresh anointing in Jesus' name. God, we pray for unity. God, we pray for unity. Lord, let us resolve the unforgiveness and bitterness in our hearts, God. God, that we can resolve and come to a place where we're unified. We can set aside our differences and surround ourselves around the mission of Jesus. We can set aside our differences and surround ourselves around things that we agree on. God, I pray that you birth unity in us. Help us to actively pursue repentance and reconciliation God Lord bring about unity in the body bring about unity in the leadership God bring about unity tear down the strongholds and the bondage of unforgiveness the strongholds and the bondage of 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 agendas God tear down agendas Lord Lord we pray for every ministry represented here today God our children's ministry our youth ministry God Every ministry that is represented here today, God, the worship team, the leaders on the worship team, Lord, we pray for every single ministry, God, as we, as we attempt to further the kingdom and we bring forth your gospel and surround ourselves around the mission of God. We glorify you and we want you this morning, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Hey, why don't you greet somebody around you? Tell them hello. Shake their hand while you find your seat this morning. Well, good morning, Life Church. Good morning, Life Church. It's so good to see you. It's so good to be here and see all of you here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Josh. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Uh, if this is your first time here, we want to welcome you to service. We want to welcome you to Life Church. And if this is your first time, uh, visit the Welcome Center after service. We've got a connect card and a special gift we want to give you. We want to get to know you and help you find your place in the body, help you find your place in the kingdom of God. Hey, listen, everybody desires a place to belong, and you belong here at Life Church. So we want to make sure you find that special fit and that place in our family. Um, I do have a couple of announcements I want to remind you guys about. 
Uh, we're going to be launching life groups on August 26th. So we're excited about that, man. Great things are coming. We got uh, groups in, in several geo geographical locations that will be uh, using these groups to serve you and to, and to help you grow in your faith and help you grow in your walk with Jesus. And our goal with life groups, because listen, our mission at Life Church is to connect, to grow, and to go. Our mission is to connect with God and to connect with others, to grow in our walk with Jesus, and to go into the world and preach the gospel. Come on. So we're, we're, we're building the infrastructure with groups in order to help you connect with God deeper in a deeper way and help you connect with others. So uh, we'll set up sign-up sheets next week, and they'll have the times and the location of groups. And basically, it's going to be a small group setting. What it's going to look like is we'll have a meal together. We'll have a faith discussion, and we'll have some time to answer questions and grow together, and it'll be in a home setting. So uh, so it's going to be a great time, man. It's going to be an exciting thing. That's coming up on the heels of our Ignite Conference. Come on. Are you excited about Dr. Dennis? He's coming in. And speaking of our Ignite Conference, it's going to take place on the 21st, the 20th, the 21st, and 22nd. Um, we're going to be calling the church to a fast that week before. So we're calling the church to a fast on August 14th through the 19th. And we're believing that God's going to move powerfully that weekend. Fasting is when you set aside food at some point in the day and you say, I'm not going to eat because I'm going to take this time and pursue God. So there's three types of fast you can do. You can do a partial fast, which is you just skip a meal. You can do an absolute fast where you just go with just water, or you can do what's called a Daniel fast where some people just eat vegetables. So you, you, you eat everything that's good for you, but don't really taste good. <laughs> so, hey, but listen, no matter what you choose to do, uh, man, we're, we're calling you to a fast. We encourage you. Fasting, I've seen God do powerful things, like amazing things through fasting in my life. And I encourage you, if you've never done it before, it's a great time to start. It's a great time to try. And I'm telling you, God's going to work mightily in your life. He's going to break things off that maybe you've been struggling with for years. You're going to see breakthroughs that you thought would never come because of fasting. So I encourage you to do that. Also on the 21st, we're going to be doing our hospital, our, um, Help me gather my thoughts here, Lord. We're going to be doing our coffee and, and fellowship again. So we did that this morning, man. It was a, I came into the lobby. We had uh, people drinking coffee, and it was a fellowship, and it was a great time. So uh, with the launch of the, well, with the ending of the conference, we'll be doing that as well. So that's going to be something to look forward to. Come early, get you a cup of coffee, meet with somebody, get to know a, a familiar face, and get to learn about them and, and hear their story. I said that last time I did that, I had a cup of coffee. I got to meet with an individual and learn more about him. So it's just a really cool thing. It's a cool opportunity to do that. Amen? Hey, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 through 8 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your hearts to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Come on. For God loves a cheerful giver. At Life Church, we've got four opportunities for you guys to give. We've got boxes on the back walls. We've got a text to give feature. We've got a Life Church app. And we've also got a giving feature on our website. We want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. At this time, we've got a video promoting our Ignite Conference. And then after that, Mr. Glenn's going to come. And he has uh, an announcement he wants to share with you guys. When you look at the declining educational standards, the high crime rate, uh, 
the disintegration of our families, the, the record rates of drug overdoses and suicides, exploding homeless populations, the gun violence in our cities, the racial polarization. It's hard to have hope. Things look scary. But I say there is hope. Generations before us survived wars, frankly speaking. I mean, they had world wars and economic depressions. They had natural, natural disasters, they, pandemics. They survived. I say we can do it too. But first, we, we cannot change what we refuse to face. So that's where we start. And secondly, we, we gotta have faith. Faith is the substance of things we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. What do we hope for? Racial harmony. We hope for healthy families, safe cities. It, it is hope that births new dreams. So, so faith, is that it? Mm, no. Faith without works is dead means that real faith causes you to do something. Real faith says, you know what? I'm gonna reach out to invite this white guy, this white neighbor of mine for a cup of tea because I refuse to believe that he is irredeemably racist. You know, real faith says, calls your son and says, son, son, your estranged son, son, I." I, I, I didn't know how to be a dad. Will you allow me to try again? Real faith means we roll up our sleeves and choose to rise from the vestiges of hopelessness, of victimhood, of, of apathy, of tribalism. Real faith says together we can daringly turn a page to a new future. Good morning, George. Uh, I just want to bring your attention to some uh, brochures we have out here and what it is. You got it? <laughs> I'm not used to speaking so in front of people. But anyway, uh, yeah, we got some brochures on, on, on the welcome counter up there. And what it's doing is for the 20th annual golf tournament for Interfaith Prison Fellowship. And um, Actually, it's not just so much for the interfaith, for the prison uh, ministry who are collecting money right now, or donations, I should say. It's for the Little Lambs ministry. Under this ministry, Little Lambs, in case you don't know it, um, Brother Russell Roseberry heads this up, and his wife saw a need to reach out to the kids of the incarcerated uh, parents. And ever since she started this program, uh, there was a, uh, a um, survey taken that 80% of the kids were following in their parents' footsteps into prison. But ever since this ministry started, it's dropped down to like 18%. And uh, I know that we don't have that many golfers in here, so I just left a few uh, flyers out there. But if y'all need some more, I've got some more. And um, also, if you're not a player, we have, um, it's self-explanatory, the, the, the brochure is saying that uh, the donations, what, what you get for your donation amounts and everything. So it's self-explanatory, but it's out there. And if y'all need any more, let me know. I'll get y'all some more. Thank y'all.
<laughs> well, Glenn, you said you're not used to talking in front of people, so you talk to yourself? Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, that, that's true. That's true. When you're a hot shot trucker, that's, it's just you in the road, right? <laughs> and that driver that pulled out in front of you. Yeah. <laughs> I know nobody's experienced that, right? <clears throat> Amen. Well, uh, also, if you would, just remember, we have a group that left this morning from Orlando, and they're driving straight through to come through in tonight. All those uh, uh, teens that went down there, and Pastor Justin and Pastor Tracy, they're bringing them home, and they did a phenomenal job. Just pray for them. You know, I sent a message this morning saying, praying for a safe trip, good trip. It's going to be a long trip. They decided to make it in one day instead of stopping halfway and to cut costs and things like that. So keep them in your prayers, and I know they're going to have some great testimonies when they get back. So amen. Praise God. And a reminder, you saw the announcement up on the screen. Um, we announced it Wednesday, but there will be no services this Wednesday here. Uh, starting tomorrow morning, we have crews coming in that will be painting ripping up the floor, putting down flooring, everything in the lobby. That's the first stage of several stages, so it's not all going to get done. We're trying to get the painting and the lobby done in, in five days. So uh, keep them in prayer and keep me in prayer. So, that I, I, don't, I, I mean, I'll, I'll preach outside, I know, but uh, nobody, whether anybody will stay without air conditioning, I don't know. And, uh, but we're going to get that done, then we'll do the halls uh, next and the room off, off there. We've got several steps along the way, so, and some things we have ordered are back-ordered, so pray that that stuff comes through. You know how that goes, right? Amen. But we're not going to fret about that because I've seen God move in old storefronts. I mean, my first church as a pastor was in an old general store on a plantation where Fats Domino was born in Vachery, Louisiana, and is now the general store at the Oak Alley Plantation uh, Visitor Center. And so we've seen God move mightily in that old hundred-something-year-old building, and God can move if people come with expectations. So how many of you come this morning expecting something? Amen. Uh, I, I, had, I had intention to preach the message that I was going to preach last week that God interrupted with, but the Holy Spirit said, you've got to put this first. And I'm a linear thinker. I kind of think along the line, this upon this, upon this, upon this. That's what the Bible says. Line upon line, precept upon precept. So I want to get right into the message this morning. And I'm reading from Luke chapter 12, verses 4 through 5. Jesus is saying to the people, he says, I tell you, my friends. Notice he, say, he, did, he didn't say, my enemies. He says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the message is simply, where is the fear of the Lord? Several years ago, I did a teaching on Wednesday night about the fear of the Lord. But some things have just been stirred up inside of me over the last several weeks. And, and I want to I come back and, and use this topic again, the fear of the Lord. Now, when I went to church, I was drugged to church, you know, I mean, and when you walked in, you could be laughing, joking, whatever. But when you walked up the steps, you better get really solemn. 
and, and you better not move. And that's hard for a kid. How many of you know, you tell your kids, sit still. And it seems like they just get more antsy, you know. And, and my dad was gone a lot of times because he was in the military. But when he was home, we had seven kids in my family. I was the oldest of seven. And so my, we'd have like a couple on this side, a few here. My dad would be here. My mom would be here. And then the other kids on the other side. Boy, and if you just started moving, if I got wiggly, whatever, my dad had a little short stubby fingers kind of like I do and but man they were strong and powerful he was a he was a concert pianist and uh and and uh he 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 would reach over and before you realize that he'd pop you right behind the ear and son you would see stars and he'd look at me and say don't move <laughs> can anybody relate to what I'm talking about four or five of you can okay the rest of you I guess you were just fidgety ones and your parents let you do that no you couldn't do that when I was a kid and so times have changed now some of you I'm going to be saying some things to you that you're going to have to assume is true simply because you're not old enough you have no recollection you were not living during that time okay but I'm not lying to you and there are others here who will be able to raise their hands and say that's true okay but we are living in an era of unprecedented idolatry. Now, that sounds strange. We think of idolatry, we think of, you know, uh, tribes in the back, jungles of wherever. But we, America is probably one of the most idolatrous nations that there are. Because the culture of our day is looking for meaning in ourselves and truth defined by our own moral standards and feelings. Many years ago, I heard a statement that still rings true today, and it says a person's morality will dictate their own theology. See, if I don't like where it should be that the, the word of God, the, the theology of scripture should dictate my morality. But the culture today says my morality, my choices in the area of morals will dictate that my beliefs, my belief system. And so it's kind of like a smorgasbord. I don't like this, I like this, I like this, I don't like that, I don't like that, whatever. And we pick and choose what we want. And when we get to the end, we go, this is my belief system. And you, I don't like hell, but I do like heaven. It's amazing. You know, over 80-something percent of people in America today will tell you they believe in angels, but the same majority will tell you they don't believe in the devil. And I tell them, I said, do you realize where Satan came from? He was an angel that fell. I don't believe that. They don't want to believe that. And so their belief system is based on how they feel, what they want, how it doesn't fit in, does fit in. And so today in our culture, we're seeking to understand who we are and our place in the world. But we're, the culture of today is trying to do that apart from God. And they're doing it by group dynamics and social movements that really feed and worship self. As a nation, our belief, our confidence has become in who we are. We are America. We are the United States of America, as if somehow when we say that, God trembles. Or that the devil even trembles. 
Can I tell you there is only one name that causes the devil to tremble? And that is the name of Jesus. In fact, the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is coming that day. But basically, our culture today, has we are the clay, and we have turned to the, the artist and said that we are perfectly capable of molding ourselves. We have rejected God's objective truth. And what I mean by that, that is the absolute truth. We have re rejected God's providential hand in human history. If you're a history person, you know there, you can go back and look at moments in the, our young history as a nation and see there were pivotal times that if God had not intervened, we may not even be here today. We've rejected God's authority in, 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 in culture and, and standards of morality, God's design of human identity. We've, we've rejected God's purpose for institutions. And when we do that, when we reject that, it perverts society. It perverts the culture in which we live. And it changes our ideas of of the, how we look at an individual, how we look at families, how we look at institutions that are only durable if they are built on the foundation that is the word of God. And that foundation, whether we realize it or not, has been bulldozed and it has been replaced. The genuine truth of God's word has been bulldozed over time and it has been replaced with the shifting sands of postmodern philosophies. And that's what the worldview is. Now, I use that term a lot, but I realized this morning, I woke up in the middle of the night and God began to speak to me about this. And I said, let me just clarify this for your understanding. Because when a person says worldview, what does that mean? What is, what is the simplicity of it? And, and I've put in, in yellow up there a very simple uh, concept for you. And that is the way of looking at and explaining life in the world. That is what your worldview is, okay? In other words, the, the things that you use act as a lens, like on, on glasses. I, got, I came over this morning, went to look at the computer for a second, and I'd forgot my glasses, and I couldn't see the screen. Well, I could see it, but I couldn't read it. <laughs> and, and Mr. Glenn goes, hey, well, try these. And I, I put them on, and I, I kind of held it out like that so I could see. And, and it worked. And he said, well, that worked. And I said, but I still got to go get these. Um, the things that the way that I, the belief system that I have affects the way I look at the world. And it serves as a lens to some of the biggest questions. And are they interpreted and how they're understood? And I just put a few of them up there. In other words, how did we get here? Questions like, how do we get here? This, this deals with origins. Okay, uh, how, did, how did life begin? Where, how, where did the world come from? Uh, why are we here? This, this deals with meaning. Uh, why, where are we going? This deals with the future and the afterlife. Who's in charge? This addresses the idea of a supreme being. What is true? The question is about the nature of truth and whether it is objective or subjective. And objective simply means that it comes from a specific source. Subjective means truth is as I see it. 
what is right and what is wrong. And it deals with the idea of morality, the question of morality. The, the right and wrong is based on um, either objective standards set by, for example, God's word, or it's by subjective, by person's feelings or the ideas of philosophies of certain people or individuals or groups. And up until the mid-20th century, okay, for those who don't know, this is the 21st century. So up until the mid-20th century, some 50, 60, 70 years ago, in the United States, in American history, God was generally believed to be the God of the Bible. And in that, with that idea, it determined an objective reality and moral absolutes. In other words, the God who is the creator of culture and institutions within it, that God, was, God saved sinners, God is above all other gods, all of those things were taken as for granted. Those were certainties. Uh, everybody pretty much accepted those things. Yes, we've always, we've always had in our nation a mixture of society of faiths and different sects. Uh, but, but for most of American history, the pervading worldview has been from a Judeo-Christian point of view. And the faith system, this moral authority was the bedrock of human thriving and institutional integrity. Americans' belief in God today is totally different. Totally different. Pew Research Organization did a study. They, took a, they did a poll. And the findings so baffled them, they had to do a study to do a follow-up to clarify the answers they were getting. And I don't have time to go through all of it, but, but they found that a large portion of Americans said that they believe in God. So they followed that study up and said, asked this question, who is this God that you say that you believe in? Okay, do you believe in God? Yes. Who is the God? Who is this God that you say you believe in? Okay. And what they found out was that there was a very slim majority that said they believe in the God of the Bible. Virtually half of the people said they did not believe in the God of the Bible. And a large majority said they did not believe that Jesus Christ was God. That was unheard of in my heyday growing up. That was unheard of in my grandparents' year, my parents' year. That was un it was just for sure people understood that to be true. But God is seen as an opinion today rather than an actual reality. Now listen, you say, well, I, you're getting, I, I'm not following you. I'm going somewhere with this. We need to understand something, that we are called to be light in darkness, and the darkness is growing, and there must be someone somewhere who's willing to let the light shine and show forth the truth. But if we don't recognize what's going on, we just, we just live blindly, unaware of it. It's, it's that old frog in the kettle kind of thing. You know what I'm talking about? They took a frog and put him in a pot of hot water, and the hot water, he jumped immediately out. 
But then he put them in a, a, a pot of water that was this natural temperature, and they turned it up one degree at a time. And the frog was unaware of the temperature rising till he cooked himself. And if we're not aware of what we're facing, Dr. Dennis talked about that. He said, we're not aware of what, we can't, we can't address what we're afraid to face. We must be aware of those things. And so society today has lost sight that everything falls apart when religion and moral absolutes and moral authority of God are rejected. And when the righteousness of God is spurned, and the individual truths of sinful man are elevated and deemed legitimate, everything crumbles. I'm not afraid to say that because I know it's true. We hear this phrase all the time, the new normal. How many of you have heard it more than once in the last few years? I mean, we hear it all the time. And that new normal is being redefined constantly. The new normal was this, then it was redesigned to this and designed to this and reimagined re re to this. And so we're constantly hearing the new normal of the day, the new normal of the day, the new normal of the day. And somebody just the other day said, I just wish things would get back to normal. I said, and the only thing normal today is that setting on a hair blower that says low, normal, and hot. <laughs> I mean, really, because normal as we knew it doesn't exist anymore, okay? People have always been sinful as individuals and, and worshipers of self. Come on now. Before Jesus, I was a worshiper of self. The only thing that mattered was me. Come on now, how about you? And the only thing that mattered was you, right? You were living for self, okay? So we were worshipers of self. Uh, what has changed in American culture has, is that what was has been rebuilt into something that it was never meant to be. Our traditional values, our institutions were slowly torn down and they've been rebuilt by an image fashioned by man apart from God. This result of this reconstruct, if I can put it that way, of, of America is now reflected in our society's values and attitudes. It has changed. Think about this. It has changed the basic understanding of human identity. How far off the chart have we gone that we no longer know what our identity is. That's what we're told. I, I, I posted it a week or two, a couple of weeks ago, that, that uh, archaeologists found a skeleton, they believe, of an individual belonged to a certain tribe, but they were not allowed to post it was the skeleton of a woman or a man because they said they didn't know what that person, when they were alive, thought themselves to be. I'm serious. And I was like, come on. <laughs> you can tell. It was a male or a female. No, they couldn't put they couldn't say they found the bones of a woman or a man from this tribe or whatever, because they didn't know what that person when they were alive considered themselves to be. I'm serious. 
So see, you're thinking I'm, I'm, go, I'm not going, I'm telling you, this is where we are today. And the foundation of how we see one another is being changed. Merriam-Webster Dictionary last week, it came out with a whole set of new pronouns that are in the dictionary. It used to be when I was a kid and I didn't know what a word meant, my mom would say, go look it up in the dictionary. Don't do that today. They're rewriting it. They're giving you new pronouns for people who don't know who they are for you to use. I'm not being silly, I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. We're no longer a society living rooted in reason and religious faith, the, a condition that is defined by factual truths and motivated by love. When I was in Bible college, I took a class my first, my first semester in school, and it was uh, the study of, oh, I'm trying to remember the title of it now, but anyway, it was the, it was the study of other religions and many of them ones that are in the United States. Uh, for example, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Mormonism, um, uh, 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 I'm trying to think, that there was one that was called the Church of God of whatever, it's not the regular Church of God out of Cleveland, but it was, um, but anyway, and for three hours once a week, we had this class where we had to study what the beliefs were of these other faith systems. We studied Hinduism, we studied um, you know, uh, Buddhism, we studied all the other major faiths and stuff, and we studied these things. And, and you studied and studied, and, and I never once left that class without a headache. And I remember one night, about two-thirds of the way through the semester, I forgot who, what, what organization we were studying, and that three-hour class was over, and, and we were leaving the classroom, and most of us lived nearby in houses that were rented around uh, the church campus where we were in school. And so it was a clear fall night. It was cool and crisp, and you could see every star in the sky, you know. But there was like 20-something of us filing out of that room, that building, and nobody was saying one word. It was like a death march. I mean, beautiful night. I remember breathing in that cool, crisp air into my lungs. I remember exhaling and seeing the, you know, my breath in the beautiful sky. I remember seeing the stars, but nobody was saying anything. There wasn't a noise being made. And finally I had somebody in the class from the back of the pack said this out loud. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And everybody stopped right there in the parking lot, and we went, yes! You know why? Because it was the first truth we had heard in three hours. But we as, as a nation, we've kicked that to the curb and now we're sinking into the worst of human cultural conditions whose roots are based on where we are moved by forces of nature driven by desires and not reason. 
The America that some of us once knew has greatly been torn down and rebuilt with other, by others who had no knowledge, who have no knowledge of God and are using a totally different set of blueprints. There was a day where there were certain assumptions that were sure concerning human identity, relationships, morality, and reality. Yeah, reality even. I, I'll, I'll give you just a few real quick. Marriage. It was between a woman and a man. The father was considered the head of the home. Children were blessings to be raised in obedience to God. The church was the body of Christ tasked with spreading the gospel of Christ and growing deeper in their relationship with Jesus Christ through repentance and faith. Schools were extensions of the family to develop rational and moral citizens. Government was instituted by God to protect the rights and liberties of citizens. Men were men. Women were women. And today that structure has all but been cast aside and the consciousness of our society, societal culture uh, uh, mindset today. Today, marriage is whatever anyone feels like it is. Fathers are unnecessary. Children are expendable. Church is not a place to worship the one true God in repentance and faith in Christ. Instead, church, the modern church has become a tool to right society's historical wrongs of racism, sexism, homophobia, bigotry, and economic inequality. Schools are extensions of the state with curricula rooted in secular theories that focus on community organizing and reconstructing history and social experimentation and indoctrination. And the government today is a tool of power to make people good according to social doctrines and secure equality of outcomes for the marginalized. Equality has become preeminent over liberty and men are women and women are men and our institutions are unstable because we've made ourselves unstable because we've attached ourselves to changeable and, and things that can not be established but moved by day by day. And this is true even when it comes to the most fundamental and obvious elements of our nature. Human identity, human institutions, human sexuality, human bodies are all being reconstructed according to the will of our culture today by men and women with an agenda. That is the agenda of this age. And as Christians, now hear me, because this is where I'm going. As Christians, we can easily look down our noses and point our fingers and say, well, I know what the problem is. If they get saved and give their lives to Jesus, all of this would change. But it's the wicked that are having their way. But I want to tell you, there is an element of this that lies at the door or lays at the door of the church in America today. And that is because there is an absence of the fear of the Lord. The void created by the exit of the fear of the Lord has given place to a spirit of Antichrist. Please hear me out. 
I know this is not one of those get up in the aisle and dance kind of things, but this is so important for the time in which we are living. I know the scripture says there was a group of men who came to David and recognized the time in which they were living and knew what they needed to do. I pray that Life Church be filled with people who are not asleep at the wheel, who are not just going, letting life go blindly past them, but they are awakened to what is going on so that they can be a voice of righteousness and they can be a light that shines bright in the time of darkness when there are so many who are lost and needing to know where is the where is truth what is truth where can I find it I had a lady this week a few ladies this week that met with me about something they asked if our church would be willing to host it in a month or so and I said more than likely yes and 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 uh, I, I told them how several years ago I, I preached a message um, at a secular conference uh, called Christian Patriots. And I said, if it had not been for the Black Robe Society before the American Revolution, the American Revolution would have never taken place. And they had never heard of that. And I said, well, go look it up. But I said, for 10 to 15 years before the American Revolution, pastors in their pulpits were preaching on biblical principles of freedom and tyranny against slavery, all kinds of things. And they said, and so that when the time came to rise up against the government to overthrow tyranny, they had been, been fed the biblical response of what their responsibility was, and they were willing to stand up and go to arms over it. And I made the comment, and and she said, you, you've actually said that? I said, I've preached it in my church. I've preached it in conferences that were not church settings. And she said, my pastor won't say anything. He said, because he's afraid of offending someone. And I said, and there's the problem. Because more pastors are more worried about their position and their influence than they are in being the light and the truth and the one, the herald who declares the truth of God's word and afraid that their givers, their big givers, will leave and go somewhere down the road where they won't be offended. It's just the truth. Psalms 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. That means there's a false wisdom out there. And the false wisdom is based on a false foundation. So the fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom, and all who obey his commandments will grow in them. The, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, is found 300 times in the Bible. 300. And in the Old Testament, it has a threefold range of meaning. And, and it means to dread. See, that's what I think of when fear, you know, fear, <laughs> shake, you know, oh, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I remember one time I was picked out of class and said, go to the principal's office right now. She's waiting for you down there. And I'm thinking, I didn't do anything this time. <laughs> you know, what am I getting in trouble for? And all the way there, I was like, going slow and they say you must be going to the principal's office I say I am I don't even know why I'm going and come to find out it wasn't anything bad 
My mom was there to check me out of school to go take me to something special. But the fear of going to the principal's office, the, you know, the dread. But then there's a meaning of the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe. That's to see. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his glory filled the temple. And, and he said, I was undone by what I saw. He said, woe is me. I am an unclean man with unclean lips, living among an unclean people. I'm going to die. Because God just pulled back the veil and he saw him in all of his glory. He stood in awe. But then there's a third meaning, and it means to respect and revere. When I was a kid growing up, we used to hear the word reverence a lot. I can't remember the last time I ever heard it used in any way, form, or fashion in a normal conversation. It's to reverence something. And with that understanding, the fear of the Lord is virtually non-existent in our culture, and can I say it's barely existent in our churches today. So what is the fear of the Lord? What is it? It's not dread, it's not terror, it's, it's not that kind of fear. What is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is a reverence for God that causes a person to live morally right before him out of a desire to please him. And really, if I, I, I should change that last line because I thought about this morning. It says, out of a desire of our love for him. It's not that I want to please. Listen, I lived my whole life trying to please my father and never could get the affirmation from my father here on earth. The only time I got his attention is when I did wrong. But really, it's, it's, it's the idea that I'm so reverent of God, I'm sent in so awe of God that it causes me to morally live right because I love him and don't want to offend him. He's the creator, and we're the creation. Not the other way around. Proverbs 16 and 6 says, By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 18, 8 and 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Let me ask you something. Do you actually abhor, hate, despise evil? Or is it something that must be tolerated and therefore we say it's acceptable? That's what the Holy Spirit asked me this week. He said, do you abhor it? Or do you just say, that's just the way the world is. It's something I have to live with. Understand, I can't go change the world. But I can change my attitude concerning those things. That, that it just causes me to cringe. It causes me to just, oh God, I'm broken inside when I see these things that are going on, instead of when I see certain things on the news and say, well, the world's going to hell. Guess what? It is. And all you're doing is affirming that. When was the last time you were up in the middle of the night broken by it, crying out to God 
because the world is going to hell. The absence of this critical virtue, the fear of the Lord, is seen in our present culture, our present lifestyles, our present beliefs, and in our churches today. It's the absence of the fear of the Lord that is the spirit of Antichrist. So you say, what is the spirit of Antichrist? First John in three, 4 and 3 says this, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. And it, it, this is the spirit of, of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Here's what you need to understand. John is saying, if I could change the vernacular there, he's saying this. You've heard about the coming of Antichrist, okay? It's been preached. It's been taught. You are expecting his arrival, but wake up, my friends. He says, because the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world. And see, here's what you need to understand if you don't understand. Antichrist is a person that will be coming in, I believe, in the very near future. And he will come on the world stage. And he will be literally the son of Satan. And he will be bent on capturing the worship of the world and destroying the Jewish race. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 5 that he is who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And while that position is not taking place, you know, people all the time go, do you think the Antichrist is living in the world? I don't care. I don't care if he's alive or not alive. I can't speculate on the things that we cannot know. What I want to know is are you talking about the real Christ? Are you preaching about Jesus Christ? Are you sharing Jesus Christ? Or are you just looking for the Antichrist? Because if that's the case, then your focus is all mixed up. When he comes, he's not going to suddenly just take the whole world and snatch it under his authority. That's not what the Bible says at all. But here's what we need to understand. The spirit of Antichrist, the spirit that will be behind that will be behind that individual, that spirit is already working in the world and he's setting up a kingdom of cold, compromising hearts. Second Thessalonians 2 and 7 says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And when he does appear, that person, that antichrist ruler when he's publicly revealed, the world will have been prepared for him by the spirit of Antichrist and the preparation of their hearts. They've discarded God, and they said, we are God. And that has laid the foundation to follow a false Messiah. We're seeing this growing anti-Christian sentiment in our nation today, and it is the spirit of Antichrist. It reveals this, that the spirit of Antichrist is a spiritual force that stands against or in direct opposition to Christ. That's the spirit of Antichrist that's already working in the world today. It's a spiritual force. It's, it's a demonic force. It's a demonic agenda of the kingdom of darkness that stands against or in direct opposition to Christ. Here's what's interesting. The word anti in the Greek can both mean against or in place of. It can mean against Christ or it can mean in place of Christ. 
And the void of the fear of the Lord gives place to that which is antichrist by spirit. And we're seeing it in the streets of our cities today. And some people would say to me, I've had people tell me lately because I've made statements and conversation, not trying to be cantankerous or, you know, you know, just you should not be judging people. The Bible says thou shalt not judge. And I said, go find that in the Bible because it does not say that. The Bible says understand the, myth, the, the degree to which you judge others, you'll also be judged. But Jesus never said, thou shalt not judge. In fact, Jesus said, he said, by your fruit, you will recognize or know them. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not standing in judgment, but I can, I'm a fruit inspector. You know, years ago, I don't know if they still do it or not, but I, I remember years ago, sun-kissed oranges, they used to say everyone had a sticker on it because it had been kissed by the sun. And I remember the first time I saw that, I said, I don't believe they put them stickers on every orange. I remember going to the grocery store, manhandling like 50 oranges, and I said, every, turned everyone over, and everyone had a sun-kissed on there. I said, you know what that tells me? Somebody's inspected this fruit. And it came off a line of sun-kissed oranges, and they put their seal on there. I'm not saying we're supposed to go around inspecting fruit of others. But if you, before you go start inspecting other people's fruit, go inspect your own first. Go look in the mirror first. Get on your knees in prayer and let Holy Spirit look inside first, okay? But that doesn't mean I stick my head in the sand either and be ignorant about what's going on. Truth is truth. Come on now, truth is truth. And if somebody's saying something that's contrary to truth and I just point it out, am I a bigot because I point out what, to the, what the word of God says? No. I'm, I'm a truth speaker because I'm a truth seeker. We seek the truth that we might speak the truth. What good is seeking truth if we just hold on to it and don't tell anyone? But we're afraid that we're going to offend someone. We're afraid that we're, we're going to get blowback coming our way because we say something that's biblical and, and we're in an unbiblical setting. I'll give you one. Get around unsafe family members. Oh, yeah. Man, that ain't good. You feel with the Holy Ghost. And you just sit there and bite your tongue. Mm, 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 mm. You're going to let it go. You know you are. Come on now. At some point, and just be, understand that the Bible says speak the truth in love. Not with arrogance. Not with cockiness. Not in a demeaning way. But speak the truth and do it in love. The church has all but failed of its mission to be a light on the hill. We've definitely, as a whole, in America today, the church has not been a voice calling our nation back to God. They've been more concerned about status and prosperity, more interested in making a name for itself than declaring the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus Christ, more interested in building kingdoms to themselves than calling back people to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I found this years and years ago. I found an article in the Pentecostal Evangel. Pentecostal Evangel was a magazine put up by the Assemblies of God for many, 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 many years. And this was dated July 3rd, 1953. It 
almost two years before I was born. I mean, that's old. Some of you are going, I was alive then. What do you mean now? You calling me old? I'm just saying it was before I was born. And there was an article by Billy Graham in the Pentecostal Evangel. And he gave nine distinct problems that were preventing revival in the church in America in 1953. How far have we come? Another 70 years past that? 80 years, right? Somebody help me. 70, I was right the first time, right? <laughs> yeah. 70 years later, he said if this was the, he, and, and he gave nine reasons, I'm going to give you one. And this, he said, was probably the biggest one. He said the one major issue, biggest issue, was this, and I'll put it up on the screen for you is that Christians accepted, the, the people accepted the belief that they could be Christians and go on living any kind of lifestyle they wanted to live. He said that was the biggest hindrance to revival in the church in 1953. And that was during the time when we believed that most of what the Bible said. Imagine today, he's saying, you want revival in the church, Boy, that mindset's got to change. Rather than believe the truth of God's word, they say, I, I can believe what I want to believe and still believe that I'm going to go to heaven. The scripture says in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10, they received not the love of the truth. They received not the love of the truth, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. And the lack of the fear of the Lord in the church has resulted in a spirit of lawlessness, growing bolder, putting our society on the brink of a raging hell, and it's, it's tearing our streets apart. It's tearing our homes apart. It's tearing our churches apart. So you're sitting there going, well, pastor, I am so depressed now. What is the answer? There is an answer. The absence of the fear of the Lord is what's causing this. So how do we get it back? How does it come back? It's got to start in the church. The Bible says judgment begins in the house of God. So how, does this, how do we walk in the fear of the Lord? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29 says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. In other words, he's saying, step back. See the bigger picture. It's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about us, it's about a kingdom that we are receiving, receiving of our, to, unto ourselves. And it's not by us, it's by grace that we are able to serve a God with reverence and godly fear. He said our God is a consuming fire. It, it, I know it silly, seems silly, but to me as a boy, when I, I heard, I used to think about God, I picture, you know, that time in the Wizard of Oz when they go to the, you know, into the chamber or whatever, and there was the flames and fire, and that man's face came out, and they said, come forth, you know, and then, that's the way I felt about God. And so when the first time I read in the scripture that God's for me, not against me, I'm going, Huh? That's just the opposite of the, of the way I was brought up because every time I did something wrong, my mama would say, that's God getting you for that. That's God getting you. That's God getting you. 
My teachers would tell me that. I went to parochial schools most of my life. God will get you for that. God will get you for that. So, I, why? so imagine the idea in my head was not that God for me. God was waiting for me to step out of line. So this idea of serving God with reverence and godly fear was more of an intrepidation, but that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying here. A.W. Tozer wrote it this way. He said, the greatness of God rouses fear within us, but his goodness encourages us to not be afraid of him, to fear and not be afraid. That is the paradox of faith. We, we want to go one way or the other. We want like all fear. Oh, I can't go before God. Or we have this nonchalant attitude where God's my best bud. And he's saying, it's the best of the two, but it's walking the line. Reverent unto a holy God, but understand that he knows you by name and he calls you and has a purpose and plan in your life. To walk in the fear of the Lord is to realize that every thought, every word, every action, every deed is open to him and that one day we will give an account of that before him. And people go, oh, no, no, no. I'm saved. I'm, I'm not going to stand before God and give an account for my life. Since After becoming a Christian, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will answer for the moments that he gave you since salvation came to you. And how did you use them? How did you use them? And you say, but, but I'm saved. I didn't say you weren't saved, but your rewards. You say, I don't care about rewards. Then you don't understand what they're for. He says that every thought, word, and deed will give an account of. So what does that do? It changes the way that we think, or at least it should. Peter wrote in his first letter to the, in the believers, he said this, he said, the Father is the one who judges you by what you do. He does not respect one person more than another. If you call him Father, be sure you honor him with love and fear all the days of your life here on earth. So he says, God doesn't have any favorites. I know you think you are God's favorite. Hate to pop your balloon. God doesn't have any favorites. He says, but if you call him Father, honor him with love and reverence all the days of your life. It calls us into a little bit of somberness, to be sober just a little bit, that we realize. I had, listen, when I was in Bible college, I was always getting in trouble. Not because I was trying to. I was just an easygoing, I like to laugh, I like to joke, I like to just be around people all the time. And I was always being misinterpreted. And always getting a tap on the shoulder. Usually it was in the meal line. After you'd stood in meal line for 30 minutes, about to get your tray of food, and they tap me on the shoulder and taste it. Come back here. Dean wants to see you. Oh, please. Why? Why? Why did I do this time? And they used to tell me, they said, 
If you want to be a man of God, you can't be laughing and joking around like that. I can't. No. The Bible says be sober-minded. So for a few days, I remember, I'm serious. I mean, I was standing in the meal line, and I saw on the wall a piece of rope. And I remembered this old Red Skelton skit from years before, and only those old enough to know who Red Skelton is will understand. Thank you very much. I see that hand. <laughs> But my mind immediately went to that, and I picked it up. A little piece of rope in the middle line. I turned around to the guys behind me. They said, what you, what you got? I said, I got a rope. They said, from what? I said, well, I don't know if I found a piece of rope or lost my horse. And I started laughing. They started laughing. Tap, tap, tap. Come with me. Bring the rope. I'm thinking... At least it's only this long, they can't hang me. But I was grounded for like two weeks cleaning toilets again. I mean, I knew how to clean toilets, baby. I mean, I scrubbed toilets for a whole semester in Bible school. Be sober-minded. So after that, I went around like this. People look at me, up. hey, how you doing? Yeah. And everybody kept saying, well, what are you mad at? Nothing. You're being sober-minded. Praise God. About third day into that, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, God, if I got to live this way, I can't serve you. I said, why did you make me the way I am? That if, if, if this is the way I got to live, I just... And I remember I went to one of my professors and I said, is this the way I'm supposed to be? He said, who told you that? I said, the dean of man told me that. He said, just be yourself. I said, and he said, just bring it down a little. <laughs> well, when you're 18 years old, you don't know where a little is, right? I mean, you know, I'm thinking up here, down to here, and they're thinking more down to here, you know? I, I, what I'm trying to tell you is that we honor him with love and reverence. We're not flippant about who he is. It's easy to sing songs that say, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But do you really? When you're not singing the song, what does your life reflect? Do you really love him or are you serving him? Are you a servant? Jesus said, I now call you friend. Oh, thank God for that. But at the same time, I have to be a friend who respects my relationship. A week ago, my wife and I were in Houston where Dr. Dennis and Pablo was, was teaching, and he told a story. I'm going to use it real quick because it, it just came to mind. I think we'll emphasize this point. They had an opportunity for, he said, a well-known 
preacher from America, evangelist from America. He would not say his name, which I respected that he didn't bring out the man's name. He had an opportunity to meet with the president of a certain country in Africa. They'd heard about it. They'd prayed about it. They fasted for the opportunity because the nation was on a precipice of going this way towards God or this way towards anarchy. And they prayed that God would give them an audience with the president. And when this minister from America was given an opportunity, here came the people who had been praying and fasting and believing that this was going to be a moment that maybe the president would give his life to God and change the whole course of a nation. And this individual, the president of this country, knelt down before this minister. And the minister took his hand and rubbed the head of the president. Just rubbed it like that and said, my hand's upon you, blah, 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 blah. The president of a country, he did that too. And they were horrified watching what this minister did and how he acted. He saw this president kneeling before him and failed to realize that he was the president of the country that he was a guest of. And just because he was standing before him did not give him the authority to ridicule that man. The president of the country never said anything. But when that minister left, he turned to his people and said, do not allow that man in this country again. And things turned the opposite way. Why am I saying that? He failed to recognize who he was. And if we're not careful as believers and followers of Christ, yes, he's our best friend. Yes, he's the one who walks with us. He's the one that sticks closer than a brother. But at the same time, he's still awesome God. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns forever. Yes, yes. Balance. Balance. I know I've gotten off course. I need to close this. I'm going to go through this really quick. Benefits of walking with God. If you can't keep up with this, just take a picture of the slide. <laughs> it's the beginning of wisdom. There's scriptures all through the Bible that talks about how it's the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is born out of the knowledge of how powerful and majestic and awesome and full of goodness that God is. The second benefit of walking, uh, the fear of the Lord is that it motivates people to holiness. The fear of the Lord motivates us to walk a, live a holy life. It prolongs life. Proverbs 10 and 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. It produces a sense of security. Proverbs 14, 26 says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. It produces life. Proverbs 14, 27, The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. To depart from it is snares of death. 
It makes all of life better. The fear of the Lord makes things better in our life. Proverbs 15 and 6, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure without it. It brings great blessings. Proverbs 22 and 4, humility in the fear of the Lord results in wealth and honor in life. Years ago I read how in Westminster Abbey there, there's, there's a number of busts and, and shrines of famous people who have been uh, used in many ways, but there was one there of, of the one who's called Lord Lawrence the First, John Laird Mayer, and, and these words are inscribed under uh, the bust of his, his head, and, and it says, it goes on, it says this, he says, he feared man so little because he feared God so much. What would happen to the church of 2022 if we, know, if we feared God more than we fear what others might say? What would happen? How many of you have ever been asked to stand up and speak in front of a group of people? Let me see your hands. Look, hold them up high. Come on. Look around. Almost everybody in here. How did you feel right before doing so? Most of us honestly would say, I was shaking in my boots. <laughs> I was like, Please don't make me be a fool. Please don't let me say something stupid. Don't, you know. You know what that was? That was the fear of what they're going to think of you. Turn that around in your daily life and ask, when I stand before God, will I hear well done? Or will God hang his head? Because I feared men more than I feared God. If I could put it this way, we love the affirmation of others more than we love the affirmation of God. Our words and actions and attitudes, our expressions, our love is a direct reflection of the fear of the Lord. I want to close with this verse. In Luke 1 and 50 it says, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. How many of you want God's mercy each and every day in your life? How many of you want God's mercy for your families each and every day of your lives? How many of you think America needs God's mercy today? How many of you think God's church is in desperate need of a dose of his mercy upon our church, our church lives every day? It's not about us. It's about the mighty God that we serve. We can sing, what a mighty God we serve. But then we go out of here and we won't, we won't tell anybody about him. Where is the fear of the Lord? Where is the fear of the Lord? My wife and I years ago used to work for a man named Norval Hayes. 
who was a businessman used greatly in, during the early parts of the charismatic renewal. But there was, a young, there was another man that used to travel with him. His name was Jimmy. Help me out, baby. I'll think of his name in a minute. Jimmy owned some stores kind of like, how many of you know what a Stuckey's store is? You see them on the highway in certain part of the countries. You know, it's got, you see signs, you know, Stuckey's, five miles, Stuckey's, three miles, whatever, you know, and they had candy and oh, it's kind of a, like a miniature Bucky's <laughs> back in the old days. Well, Jimmy owned some of those stores, stores like that. Jimmy was a midget. And I'm not trying to be politically incorrect. He was a midget that didn't know God and was damned and going to hell. He was in a car accident. My wife and I personally know Jimmy. Knew him. He's going to be with the Lord now. <clears throat> he was in a car accident. And his small body was crushed. Virtually almost every bone from here on down was crushed. Not broken, just they said crushed. They put him in a hallway and said, you won't survive the night. Next morning, he's still alive. They said, well, we might as well try and do some surgery on him. So they took Jimmy and did surgery. They had pins, bolts, pinning his old body, broken bones together. They had him in the hospital. Finally, week after week after week, they take x-rays and nothing in his body was healing. Nothing was healing. And they said, well, he's alive, but nothing's healing. They said, son, you're going to be bedridden the rest of your life. They sent him home. Each month, they'd bring him to the hospital, take x-rays. Not one bone had started to heal. Not one bone. That went on for months. But during that time, he started getting in the Bible and he started praying and he came to an encounter with Jesus Christ. And then he got in those gospels and he said, I'd get me a gospel. And he said, I'd take them gospels every day. And he said, I, I started declaring God's word for my life. He said, and then all of a sudden I came where Jesus healed the crippled man. Jesus healed the dead man, raised him from the dead. Jesus healed, Jesus healed, Jesus healed. And then he said, all of a sudden, I saw a Mark 11, 23 and 24. If you can have faith the size of a mustard seed and say unto this mountain, be thou cast and removed unto the sea, it shall be done. And he began to say, I am healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed in Jesus name. A month went by from the last checkup. They took him into the hospital. They took x-rays and it took longer than usual. And they came out and they said, we don't understand what's going on. And he listened in. Yeah, I, some of y'all went like that when I did that. Yeah, whoa, what? They said, almost every bone is knit back together. He said, what you been doing? Taking gospels? They brought him back in another month. They said, every single bone has been knit back together. We can't explain it. He said, I can. But something else began to happen. Jimmy 
who was this tall started growing. When I met him, he was over six foot one. He had one, one leg that was about that much shorter than the other. He said he likened it up to when God touched Jacob's leg, shriveled it up so that he limped. He said, I think God wanted just me to remind me every day when I put my shoes on that he's God. Jimmy grew out to like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, something like that. And he made it a determination because of how great and awesome and the reverence he had for God. There would not be a day that he would be awake that he didn't witness to one person about Jesus. Jimmy traveled with my wife and I that first year off and on. We had a 19 foot Winnebago and he'd ride with us and he'd tell us stories. And I remember there are times that we'd pull in someplace like one or two in the morning. And all of us, we'd say goodnight and he'd get a hotel room. And we'd sleep in the Winnebago and all of a sudden we'd hear our door open and we'd look and there's Jimmy. I remember one winter morning, he's, he's bundled up and he's got a coat on and thing over his head. He's walking out. I said, Jimmy, you need a ride somewhere? He said, no, I got to find somebody. I haven't fulfilled my pledge to the Lord to tell him about Jesus. When we met him a little over a year, he'd won, won over 330 something people to the Lord in one year. One man, because of his reverence. How great is our God. He said, I can't go to sleep without telling somebody how great my God is. The fear of the Lord, the reverence of God must come back to God's church. I'm going to tell you something. God just dropped it in my heart. He said, I will not Put fire in the hands of those that I cannot trust. It'd be like giving keys to a vehicle to a young teenager who doesn't respect the power that they have with those keys and the vehicle that's given to them. I want you to take a moment and just search your heart right now and Just ask the Lord to show you. Where is your attitude? In reverence towards God. He's not looking for you to be down in the dumps and sad. The joy of the Lord is our strength. But it's the joy of an awesome and mighty God who who came and found us that we didn't we don't deserve 
to be called his children. We don't deserve it, but he came and found us and he put his name on us. He adopted us into his family. Holy Spirit, I pray right now, search our hearts right now. Search our hearts. Search our hearts, oh God. God, are there areas in our life that we've allowed a lightness, if I can put it that way, a, an acceptance of sin, thinking that God, you, you love us, you, you'll overlook it. If so, God, we repent right now and we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your forgiveness, Lord. Touch our lives. Let the fire of the Spirit of God ignite within us, Lord God, a reverence for your holy presence. A reverence for your holy presence. God, we desire to host your presence. We, we, we desire to be a congregation of people who know how to host your presence. But God, we cannot take that lightly. If we desire this place to be a light that shines bright in the land of darkness, <clears throat> God, will we sing how great you are? We do it with reverence and awe. Father, I'd rather see you in the splendor of your glory than all the miracles the world could see. Because I know that when we see you as you are, you're changed we're changed we'll be changed say God pull back the scroll pull back the veil let us see you let us see you Lord holy God come on holy God Come on, church, right now. There's a presence in here. It's the Spirit of the Lord. He's, it's, 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 it's coming down. He's moving. Come on. Take a moment. Worship Him. Worship Him. Forget about your neighbor. Forget about your reasoning. Forget about the clock. Forget about all that for just a few moments. It's, it's, he's here. He's here. He's here. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Mighty God. Sing it. 
I just sense that there's some people here that you have this unhealthy view of yourself like I had growing up. That you're not worthy of God's acceptance. You're not worthy. You're not good enough. You, you're striving all the time, and, but you feel like you're a failure. And you feel like 
your Father in heaven would, would boast on anyone else but you. That's the only way I know how to explain what I'm feeling on the inside. That's not healthy. And that's not God. And if that's you, I want you to come right here, right now, right now. We're going to pray, and then we're going to pray for you. Come on. Where are you? There's one. Who else? Who else? Come on. Come on, brother, right here. Anybody else? Yes, Josh. Would you come? Would you come? I want two or three other men to come up here. You know what it is to be received of the Father and all of your failures and all your shortcomings and everything else and know that He loves you. I want two or three other men to come and surround our brother right here, right now, right now. Come on. Who else? Come on. Come on. Anybody else? Come on. Come around. I want you to circle all around him. I want you to circle all around him. Lay your hands on them right now. Come on. Come on. You know what it is to, to be received by the Father. Come on. Right here in front of them. Come on. Somebody else. Step right there. Step right there. You know what it is. You, you've battled this before. You know. You were told you're never good enough. You'll never amount to anything. You'll never measure up. You, you look at others and think they're more spiritual than you are. And, and, and God, there's no way God could look at you in a positive manner, a positive light. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And we come against that devil right now in the name of Jesus. We break this mindset off of our brother right now. I plead the blood of Christ over his mind. And I declare the word of God to be true over him. He is a son of God. He is a child of God. Born again by the spirit of God. Filled by the spirit of God. And that the word of God is a lamp to his feet. That his purpose and destiny that you created him for will be brought forth in his time that God he will not look back on his life and say I missed it but he will look back on his life and say I did all that I was able to do by the, the, the enablement of the spirit of God there's some, some here today you grew up hearing you'll never amount to anything. Nothing good will ever come from your life. That you, you, you are a mistake. I don't know who you are, but I want you to raise your hand right now. We're going to pray for you because that's a lie from the pit of hell. One right there. Anyone over on this side? There's another one right there. There's another one right there. Hold your hands up. Don't be, be ashamed. Look. Lay hands on that woman right there. Go, go lay hands on her right now. God, the Holy Ghost is all over both of them right now. Holy Ghost is there. And on that man right there. We're coming against the lies. The lies. The lies. The lies of hell. Can I tell you, the lies of hell will destroy a person. They will eat you up on the inside. They will, every time you look in the mirror, you will hear the lies that were spoken. But today, in the name of Jesus, we break that off of them right now. We break that off right now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus right now. 
God, when she looks in a mirror, she'll not see the words that have been spoken over her life, all of her life. But God, it'll be changed. It'll be changed. Jesus. 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 Yes, Lord. I pray for my brother right now. God, that he be raised up. That he see himself. He's not, he's not a castaway. He's not a cast one who's been cast aside. But God, he's been designed with destiny and purpose in his life for the kingdom of God. And Father, that the enemies tried to destroy him and keep him from getting to it because he knows that he'd be a weapon against him in the kingdom of darkness, Lord God. We pray your spirit break that mindset and that, Father, that the mindset of God, the Holy Spirit, will begin to be activated in his life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can I tell you? Down deep inside, there's wounds been. Those arrows have gone deep inside of you over the years. But God is doing a work today to remove, to remove them from the recesses of your soul, that dark place that you've tried to cover up that no one would know. God said, I see it and I'm removing that out. And I will bring healing of heart and mind and soul and spirit. Newness. Newness. She cut up a Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Mighty God, mighty God, mighty God. Put your hand right here on, on your belly. Put your hand right there. You put your hands on top of hers. Right there, right now. In the name of Jesus. Mm. Hear the word of the Lord saying, Know this day that that what I have said, I have also done. Even as one who could feel a tumor being removed, know this, that this wound is also gone. And healing is even now taking place. Healing of the soul. Hallelujah. 
Father, we thank you there's a restoration coming to your church and is already at work in restoring it, making it into that which you purposed it to be on the day it was birthed, on the day of Pentecost. A church with power, a church with influence, a church that had a relationship to you, Lord God, filled with glory, filled with power, filled with praise. Father, we thank you. These are the days of restoration for the church. And Father, we will not look at the darkness around us and allow it to squelch the word of hope and the word of truth inside of us. Instead, we will let our light shine and we will let it shine brightly and we will speak forth even in the age of darkness. God, we will do it motivated by love, your love for us. You loved us so much that we must tell others of how great your love is, Lord God. Now, Father, I pray for everyone in this place as they leave this place. Father, let your spirit bear witness with them of the truth of this day, the messages from beginning, from worship, and, and, and to the very end, Lord God. We're not wandering aimlessly around without direction. You've placed us where we are to have influence, to point the way for those who are lost. God, I pray for pastors and ministers in this locale, this local area, that God, there would become an awakening in the pulpits, even a trembling in the pulpits in the midst of their 
messages that they've crafted together to please the people. Let the heavens be opened suddenly. That Father, that they would see you in your glory and suddenly tremble as the prophet trembled at the sight of you in all of your glory. One minute he's declaring, I'm a dead man. And the next minute he's saying, send me. I will go and tell the people. God, let that anointing flow out of this place on each and every one. Let them know that they are sent this day. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 If you need special prayer for something, come and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, God bless you. There's a meeting for those that uh, Pastor Josh got a meeting across the hall for those about the home groups. Don't forget about that. 